And live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square, this is Fast Money. I am Brian, and once again for Melissa, tonight's all-star trader lineup. You've got Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after-hours action in shares of both Cisco and NVIDIA. Cisco down, NVIDIA up about the same. You can see those moves. The company's conference calls, they are underway right now. We're going to break down all the headlines and any breaking news from those calls just for you. Plus, that guy, CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy is with us. We'll get his take on the state of the market, crypto, new products, the health of the retail investor, and he will join us exclusively on all that ahead. Later, declined. The payment stocks feeling some pain today, and it may be all thanks to Amazon. We will tell you why. All right, welcome, everybody. Hope you're having a good Wednesday night. We're going to start with the breakout, though in some big parts of big tech. Apple jumping nearly 2% in a down tape, adding more than $50 billion to its market cap. And it wasn't just Apple. Investor favorite Microsoft hitting another all-time high, keeping its spot barely as the biggest public company in the world. The move comes even as the broader market pulled back a touch today. The Dow down about 200 points. So as we head into the final weeks of the year, will the tried and true tech trade still continue, Guy Adami, to be the place to be. Certainly feels that way, Brian. And it's interesting about Microsoft, you know, with, with the exception of a couple downdrafts over the last year or so, and they're minor. I mean, this stock has been on fire. And it's, I think the reason why people are flocking to Microsoft specifically is dependability. And they know they're going to be, in our world, what we call tape bombs. And i got to tell you, at 30 times next year's numbers, given their growth and given some of the stability we're seeing, it's still reasonably valued. You know, quickly about Apple. Tim says this all the time. You don't want to run too far from these names. And I'll let him speak for himself. But what he's basically saying is, you know, you will see self in these names, but there are definitely opportunities to jump in. My sense is Microsoft quickly up 20% since that last sell-off in October. Might be a little ahead of its skis, but if you see one of these sell-offs we've seen, you just get back in the name because this stock is a juggernaut. All right, Slalom, Tim Seymour, let's keep the theme going. Is it over its skis? Do you think the, the companies are great, but it doesn't mean that the valuations are deserved, are they? No, well, it, it's, it's all relative to an interest rate environment. It's all relative to a liquidity environment. It's all relative to what people are paying for growth in things like EV and gaming and, and the, the land of absurdity, um, which isn't to say that gaming's absurd or EV's absurd, but some of these valuations are absurd. It suddenly makes Microsoft and Apple... Uh, look like heroes when you consider, again, the shift in, in, in Apple's business to more of a recurring revenue stream, a subscription stream, a services stream. We know that's where the margin is in Microsoft's world at the same time with enterprise picking back up and, and the sense that this is, you know, uh, if not the leader in cloud, going to be, uh, if not today, soon. But, the, you know, the, the story may be more broad related to markets and just where we've seen ebb and flow throughout the last year, year and a half, certainly through COVID. Um, what was down today? Retail was down two and a half percent. You had transports down a little over one and a half percent. You had uh, a lot of cyclical dynamics. Banks have underperformed the S&P uh, by, you know, four or five hundred basis points over the last month. 
you know, what it's telling you a bit is that people are a little bit concerned about growth, or at least from a rotation. That's the trade that you see on a day like today. And again, 10-year yields were, were down. They're not really grinding higher as we want to. And, and don't underestimate where the dollar is giving people some sense of confidence, either that one, uh, there may be less inflation headwinds if the dollar is damping down things like commodities and, and, and taking away inflationary pressures for imports but also that the dollar tends to be sometimes a sign of flight to safety. I don't think there's a lot of fear out there, but I do think that that's an environment where, again, you're going to be gravitating towards the mega cap tech world. So that's what today's trade is. By the way, in that world, I love the Amazon chart. I know Amazon's been a disappointment and a vast underperformer to uh, its mega cap peers. But if you look at that chart back a year and it's been in a choppy range, it's an upward trend. And again, think of the comps that Amazon has had to get through off uh, that early COVID run and where the e-commerce trends are overall. I really like Amazon here. If you're going to be in mega cap tech, that's my play. Well, let's see where it goes next year, Karen, because uh, I'm going to date myself. And I learned in the commercials in the 1970s in cartoons that riff reading is fundamental. So you forgive me, I'm going to read something here. This is Goldman Sachs' equity outlook came out yesterday. It's for next year. By the way, they see 5,100 on the S&P 500. Here's what they say. Investment strategies, number three, buy gross stocks with high margins versus low margin or unprofitable gross stocks. I mean, it sounds obvious, but I think what Goldman is saying, Karen, is Maybe don't take flyers on the dreamers. Stick with the Microsofts of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. I, that's, that's sort of my uh, MO. I, I feel much more comfortable with, you know, these now they're very old school companies like a Microsoft. I have all of the, the F MAGA, as Dan likes to call it. So, I mean, to me, Facebook and Google, they are growth stocks. They are, you know, fantastic margins. And their value. So if you look at a little bit of a rotation today, you see the real high flyers coming in a little bit. This IGV, which I'm short against the FANG, which is the high flyer names, came in a little bit. And, you know, Google, I think it ended up maybe positive a little bit, but Apple, uh, Facebook, I don't know where that ended up in the day, and Microsoft. So I'm comfortable owning those. I don't know if they're overvalued or undervalued by a lot. I know that over time, I think they're going to continue to create value, and I definitely can't trade around it. If I thought Microsoft was a little expensive, tried to get out, then I'd have to figure out, am I getting out at the right time? And when do I get in? That's really hard also. And then you've got to pay the taxes in between. I can't do that. I'm just going to hang on and hope that they continue to grow value, and I think they will. They've done an extraordinary job. Jeff, what say you? Place to stay? Just, just let it ride on Apple and Microsoft? Maybe sell some big winners that are a little more high valuation to Goldman's point? Or what would you do here? I think you have to look at the prevailing trend and try to figure out what's going to happen over the next couple of months rather than just focus on one day. And what I've been seeing is the evolution of the growth scare is over narrative from the third quarter. So you have strength in autos, semis, builders, small caps breaking out in particular. So you get on the list there and you're actually seeing pretty good momentum in those areas of the market. That's not to say that some of these quality growth names can't do well. I think they can, but I think the market's looking toward at least some of the things that I'm seeing relative to peak supply constraints. So I saw that containers in the L.A. ports were down 30 percent. Auto chip manufacturing is obviously picking up. So just to end on something that Tim was alluding to, what is the impact of all of that? It all comes down to inflation. And I really do think that the risk is 
symmetric. And I think that that's under, underappreciated. There's downside risk to inflation next year as well, not just upside. So if inflation's hot, then the Fed comes in, slows growth a little bit, and you probably do want to be more growthy and buy those companies that are going to, going to be able to grow regardless of the cyclicality of the economy. But there's the other side. If inflation is soft, the curve steepens, you want to be on the other side of that trade. So I think not getting too, out, too far out in front of your skis on either side of that trade is important right now. Yeah, guys, good discussion there. Why don't we broaden it out then with one of our favorite guests on Fast Money and talk a little about the macro markets, maybe throw in a little crypto as well, the retail or the meme investors. Terry Duffy, the CEO of the CME Group, he is in Naples, Florida this evening for a very cool LPGA event. Terry, it's great to chat with you again. It's been like 20 years. We've got to stop meeting like this. Uh, first off, you probably <laughs> also know the Fed as well as anybody. Hey, we're, we're dating ourselves here. It's all yeah. good, Terry. Uh, do you think the, the Fed yep. is going to raise, I'm not say taper, we know that, raise rates any time in the next two to three years? Yeah, I actually do. I, it's hard for me to make those predictions, but if, if I had to, I would believe they will because I think they're in a very difficult situation. I think they passed up the opportunities to take rate increases over the last several years. Instead, they let everybody continue being at the punch bowl for probably longer than we should have. So now we're in a situation where I like to tell people all the time, you know, as my former life as a trader, one of the things we always talk about is supply and demand. And the one thing you can never figure out is what the demand is. Now we can't figure out what the supply is. It makes it really difficult to do. And hence, we're seeing these out of control prices in all different products. I think the Fed has no choice but to step in and tamp down this uh, inflation to some degree. Um, I, I just don't see. I think it's inevitable, Brian, how, how they don't do it. Terry, in the midst of what's been a very um, busy period for you, you negotiated a deal that we actually talked about on Fast Money a couple weeks ago with Google, that billion-dollar deal, which is extraordinary. You've had a couple weeks now to think about it and look about it and sort of take a deep dive, maybe from a different vantage point. What are your thoughts now a couple weeks out from that deal? Yeah, it's a good question, Guy, because now we've had an opportunity to catch our breath a little bit and let the market absorb what we did with Google and, you know, I'm hearing a lot of positive things from both the client side and the producer side of the market, from the banks and other participants. I think people really realize that this could be a massive cost savings to them. You know, I didn't talk much about on it last time on Fast Money, but, you know, a little bit about the cyber and what does it mean for CME to be under Google Cyber Watch. I mean, it's just amazing the technology that they have. I heard Karen talking earlier about how Google's a growth company, maybe Microsoft's an older company. Google is a very forward-thinking company. We all have to take this under consideration. So from my standpoint, I think a lot of people are realizing what the benefits could be over the long run on this Google deal. So even though the billion-dollar investment by them in CME was interesting, I think that's going to, you know, we won't even be talking about that. We'll be talking about the benefits over the next 10 years, what this is going to do and beyond. Hey, Terry, it's Karen. Thanks so much for being on. You are a uh, master of sort of the trading dynamics. Is the retail trader this time different? And how do you think this plays out? Uh, Karen, you know, we've talked about this before. The retail trader here, I think what the retail trader wants, and I've said this before, they want access. They want to make sure that they are not third in line. They want to participate in the marketplace. The problem is they want to pay nothing. So the question is, how does retail get treated? 
if everybody's going to charge retail nothing, who, how do you make money? So we all know how they make money is through the payment for order flow and other methodologies of it. So nothing is free. So the retail participant is prepared to give up a lot because they don't want to pay commissions. I truly believe it's about access. One of the things that I'm big on with my cloud services agreement with Google is giving access to all participants yeah. and make sure it's equal. So, I, I, Karen, I think that the retail trader mm. is here to stay. The question is it will have ebbs and flows, as we both know. Well, Terry, the retail trader also wants to trade things other than stocks, and there's nobody better than the CME globally at creating products that people didn't even know that they wanted at the time. I mean, who, whatever it is with corn yeah. or stocks, it doesn't matter. Where do you think we're going to be a year, five years from now for crypto products? How many crypto-related products, options, whatever it might be, do you think there really is a marketplace for? I think it'll, it'll you know, consolidate into a couple. I think crypto will be used for what I believe its intention is, and that's to speed up commerce. I don't believe crypto is just about the appreciation of the actual crypto itself. I think it's about the uses thereof. So I, I think that's where crypto is heading over the next several years. And you'll have to manage that cost, just like you guys were talking a moment ago about the strength in the dollar. You still have to manage the dollar today. You'll have to manage crypto tomorrow, but you won't be talking about it from an appreciation or not. You'll be talking about it, the uses that we can use, all these cryptocurrencies going through the blockchain to expedite uh, the finance and make it more efficient. Let's talk uh, very briefly before we let you go, Terry, about the event that you are at, this LPGA yeah. tournament. Not only great yeah. golf, great causes as well. You've been doing it for years. Tell us what it means, what are you trying to accomplish, and how maybe some of our viewers or listeners can help. You know, it means the world to me, this event, because it's not just that I'm a big believer in equality, and I'm trying to make certain that, you know, CME is a participant. We have you know, very diverse uh, client base. I have a very diverse workforce. I want to support women's sports and women in business. But, you know, when I look at the charity that we've been able to partner with, which is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and the millions of dollars that CME has been able to give them, I mean, to me, there's nothing worse than a sick child and a parent should not have that worry about the consequences of the cost of saving their child. So to be involved with these people from St. Jude, it's humbling. And it's, it's an amazing charity. So I'm, that means more to me than a lot of things right now, Brian. Be honest yeah. With you. And, and, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, Terry, if you want to have your humanity back, go to the Mayo Clinic, go to St. Jude's, whatever. See what these families are dealing with. Children, I mean, literally, I'm getting a little welling up. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing, yeah. raising a ton of money, a ton of awareness. These are children, sick kids we're talking about. And Absolutely. that should never happen. Terry, thank you. Have a great rest of your tournament. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you. God bless all of you. Thank you. Yeah. God bless you and the work you're doing there. Guy Domi, take it away. I'm getting a little welled up here. It is a fantastic cause. Anything that Terry said regarding the Fed, the markets, crypto, whatever, it caught your ear. No, I think it's interesting. And I think, you know, one of the products, obviously, is gold as well. And I think, you know, if you really ask Terry, I think he would think gold's probably got one move left in it before the end of the year. And I also say, I think the market doesn't fully really understand, I don't think, uh, the magnitude of, of this deal with Google, what it means and what it means going forward and how it probably lines up for the space. You know, Terry's been he, he's made so many deals over the years. Karen spoke to this and people sort of questioned a lot of them at the time. and They turned out to be 
extraordinary in terms of what it's done for CME and their shareholders. And this is going to be another one. So, you know, the stock traded up to 230. It's back in the mid-220s now. I've been pretty steadfast on this one. CME is probably the best exchange. It's not probably. It's the best run exchange on the planet. There you go. I still miss breakfast at series, though. Maybe the floor there in Chicago. You know what I'm talking about. All right, let's move on. We've got an earnings alert on NVIDIA, and shares are jumping after reporting. Let's get to Josh Lipton with more. Josh, how did NVIDIA's quarter look? So, Brian, remember heading into this report, the stock was already up about 130 percent so far this year. It was the best performer in the SMH by far. It was up about 50 percent since the company's last report, by the way, in August. As for the report we got today, beats on the bottom and top. Q4 guidance, $7.4 billion, plus or minus 2 percent. That is better than expected. Street was closer to $6.86 billion. Spoke with Matt Bryson over at Wedbush. Q3, Q3 report was good, he says, even with high expectations on the street. Data center number was strong. He notes nearly $3 billion in growth accelerated. Gaming segment came in fine. He says automotive, that was down a bit, but Matt reminds us NVIDIA is transitioning to higher margin processors here. Key question for investors, Matt says, how much of the good news is already priced in at these current levels? Matt bets a lot is his rating on this name hold on valuation. On the call, which is just really getting started here, the company's CFO saying Q3 was outstanding, setting records for revenue for gaming, which was up 42% year over year. Data mm. Of course, that's what investors care the most about. That jumped 55% year over year, led by those hyperscalers, the big cloud names. Reception to Omniverse, their set of tools, which NVIDIA says will be critical for creating virtual worlds. Incredible, the company says. Back to you, Brian. Josh, thank you. Tim, 55% growth in data center chips powering AI. And now I'm thinking about the metaverse, Ready Player One, the Oasis. I'm just wondering how big that market Slow down. can be. You're going to need yeah. a lot of juice to power well, Mark Zuckerberg's future world. Yeah, but, but again, this, this, these uh, data center numbers are indicative of a broader spend, a broader enterprise strength, and it, it probably has implications across uh, different parts of the chip space and also memory. And so great stuff. Um, I, I, I would never bet against NVIDIA and certainly probably have not bet enough in favor of it and on board with it over the last three years. Um, the valuation is something that you could have complained about for five years. Um, you could have certainly complained about it for the last couple. And think about that 120 percent move in the last six months. So, look, at, at 60 times 2023, um, do you think that there's a fair amount of metaverse or omniverse in the stock? You can be sure of that. Um, do you believe the stock should be trading at you know, a, a above even a relative peer group multiple because of how far ahead they've been and they'll be ahead in the next kind of wave. Yes, I do. But uh, again, I, I agree with the hold here. Uh, I don't bet against them. I agree with the hold. I think there's competition coming. Look, we've talked about AMD. AMD is taking on uh, the, all the big players across multiple sets of, of uh, both graphics, gaming, uh, memory, and even just some of the yeah. traditional bricks and mortar that Intel. We've seen that. Um, and I think competition is coming for NVIDIA. Yeah, Jeff Mills. And listen, we're looking at 33 times price to sales, 34 times price to book. I, you got big numbers everywhere you look. Big stock run, big earnings, but big valuation. How do we frame it? Yeah, no question about it. I mean, the bar was very high coming into this. The stock's moving a lot after hours. You have to remember the stock was down over 3% during trading. So we'll see if the after hours move sticks, sticks tomorrow. The bar was high, though, and you had all this hype around AR, VR, Metaverse, all the things that we're talking about. My guess is, at least for the short term, the stock's probably moved too far too fast. Uh, it's always been expensive, as we said, but it's never been this expensive. Tim mentioned AMD. So I just looked at the P of those two companies today. 
basically been the same over the past three years, kind of flip-flopping back and forth. Now NVIDIA 65 times forward, AMD 48 times. So that has opened up a very wide gap between those two companies. But look, mm. it's, it's tough to wait for the perfect pullback with a stock like this. Maybe it doesn't pull back as much as you think it should. You miss it uh, and so on. So it's definitely a great long-term story, hard to bet against. But again, I think the stock probably doesn't yeah. run here on this earnings report. Okay, very polite way to say it. Might have gotten ahead of itself. All right, we've got another earnings alert on Cisco Systems. Shares, they're down 5% right now. Revenue's falling short of some estimates last quarter. The company issuing guidance that is missing some analyst expectations. You know, Guy Dami, at one point, this was the largest company in the world. We forget that. 1999, I think it was. $660 billion at the time. Seems quaint now. A 5.5% move for Cisco is kind of a big deal. It's interesting. It is a big deal. And this happened last quarter, I believe, as well, and the stock traded off. And I actually thought it would continue to the downside only to find it two days later trading higher than it was prior to earnings, which I found fascinating. I mean, these quarters, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking to, as I say, cast aspersions here, but it's just not a particularly strong quarter in an environment where you see a company like NVIDIA, for example, with their fourth quarter guidance just basically mm. firing on all cylinders. The only nitpick in NVIDIA was about autos, and we're talking about 135 million dollar business compared to sort of gaming which is three and a quarter billion my point is you know the world is leaving cisco behind like it or not and it's not trying to be mean that's just the reality the same thing to a certain extent is happening in ibm the flip side of that coin are names like microsoft and oh by the way look at what oracle's done over the last six to nine months so there are companies that are flourishing in this environment they're companies that are trying to find their way cisco is one of those companies that's still trying to find their way yeah. Uh, guys, can we throw up quickly before we go a five-year chart of Cisco? I don't think, Guy Dom, you're being mean at all. Here's the reality. In July of 2019, it was a $57 stock. Coming into the close today, it was a $57 stock. And one of the hottest tapes in American history, Cisco is now below where it was two and a half years ago. Not being mean at all. All right. Be sure to catch Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins. He can address all this tonight. He is on with Jim. It's a big interview. Chuck Robbins, Mad Money, tonight, 6 p.m. I'm sure Jim's going to talk to him about what are you going to do to turn this around? All your competitors are booming, and your investors haven't made any money in two and a half years. All right, coming up, Rivian proving it's actually a real stock, having an honest-to-goodness down day. We're going to hit that and more in the EV charging story with our friend and resident super skeptic, Herb Greenberg. But first, missing the mark. Target topped the tape, but... Shares sold off. What the heck happened? We'll dive into that coming up on Fast Money. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Target taking a tumble today, down nearly 5%, despite posting an earnings beat before the bell. CEO Brian Cornell warning investors today of tightening margins as the company absorbs higher prices instead of passing them on to the customer. And if you watched Fast Money last night, we know you did, we're not going to tell you that we told you so, that the inflation story hasn't hit yet, but we, we told you so. I mean, we just laid it right out there. We just clearly said it, Karen, did we not? I mean, that higher prices, may, they're either going to be eaten by the consumer or they're going to be eaten by the retailer or the manufacturer. Somebody's going to eat them. What do you make a target? <laughs> Well, I'm long target, so uh, sad to see it down. But, you know, I think it was it probably ran up too much going into earnings. I still really like it, though. I think that this is a management team that likes to underpromise and overdeliver. So I know there was some disappointment on the margins, but I think part of that was like we, they had some expenses 
to logistical expenses, supply chain expenses that they had to work around. They had some labor expenses. But I think they don't want to pass it on to the customer. But I think they sound excited about Christmas. And as I said, they don't like to overpromise. They like to underpromise. So I think they're going to get additional leverage off a revenue, probably a very good revenue number in this coming quarter. And this, the stock, it, now it's below 20 times. Interestingly, they did do a stock buyback at about 246 and change, which I think would be a good place to add, because I think at that multiple, it's relative to the market and with the growth that they have. I really like it. One thing that was sort of interesting that I haven't heard a lot of companies talk about was shrink, which is theft, inventory theft. So I'm not sure how much that hurt them. I haven't heard a lot about that. I just wonder when companies scale up with a lot of new labor, um, whether that that is much harder to manage. I don't know if that's going to be a trend or not. But I, I think it was sort of overdone. I like Target. I like them trying to care about the customer, but they also will have the inventory to give the customer what they want for Christmas, even if other people don't have it. Well, I mean, well, that, that's key to selling goods. You need to make sure the goods are there. And, you know, Tim, last night we talked about the other kind of George Costanza shrinkage, which is really just whether or not they're going to be able to absorb these <laughs> higher on. prices because all the stuff on the shelf now was bought six. We're just going to move on. Was bought six months ago. That's the key. The stuff that we're going to be buying in May is the stuff they're buying and they're paying for now. I just wonder if they can eat that uh, that inflation story. Yeah, look, uh, I. I'm, I'm distracted at this point um, to uh, to nauseam, but I, I do think you have a case here where, uh, you know, again, w are we surprised that the market needed to price in some of these headwinds on margins? Uh, you know, a little bit, because, uh, again, there's there's no secret to where uh, we have input costs. And again, for, for the retailers, the offset here is, first of all, higher labor costs um, are, are not temporary. They're not transitory. And they're dynamics that I think are are complex and ultimately very, very good, by the way, for their businesses, because uh, the middle class, the segment, the demographic that are shopping in these stores predominantly um, have more money in their pockets. And it's great news. And, and, and ultimately, I think you have a case here where in Target's case, they've done phenomenal things structurally to change their business over the last couple of years. Again, COVID was a benefit. Uh, and, and on some level, uh, they were a beneficiary. And that includes, you know, same day yeah. curbside, um, a lot of the loyalty business. But I do think you have a case here. Uh, and this is me talking as a, a long Walmart and, and not long Target. And by the way, that's been a terrible, terrible trade. Target's outperformed Walmart by 60 percent over the last 12 months. So bad on me. Um, I think you have a case here where, again, there are those that can push around uh, the supply chain more than others. And I actually think Walmart's in a better position than Target here. I do think on a relative value, no, Target's might even be cheaper than Walmart. But in terms of performance and in terms of rotation, I think it's time for that trade to work. Yeah, and, 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 you know, let's not forget the target shares. To your point, Tim, you just said it's been a great trade. They're up $80 a share in a year. So, yeah, down a couple percent now. But Target has been a gigantic moneymaker for Karen and her clients and many others over the last number of years. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here is what's coming up next. Loss of electricity. Rivian's first down day. Lucid losing some steam. We're charging into the EV trade next. Plus, credit card declined. Amazon ditching Visa in the UK. So are the payment pains here to stay? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
And welcome back to Fast Money. Look at that. Shares of Rivian and Lucid actually pulling back today. Is that allowed? For what's been a monster run for the two electric vehicle startups, it was Rivian's first down day ever, although it's only been a public company for a week. But let's be clear. Even with today's sell-off, these stocks have been hotter than a Barstow charging station. So let's round it out. Phil Abo joining us now with an EV roundup on some red-hot names. Phil. And they're still hot right now, Brian. When you look at the market caps of Rivian and Lucid and compare them with GM and Ford, look, they are still trading at very lofty valuations. And yes, Lucid briefly surpassed General Motors in terms of market cap for a very brief moment earlier today. Now it's back at $85 billion, still a higher market cap than Ford. But for General Motors, today is a huge day. The stock hit an all-time high, and they also opened Factory Zero. This is in Hamtramck, Michigan. It's their first EV-only plant. Look, a few years ago, they were building Chevy Impalas here. Now they're building the electric Hummer. First delivery of those happened by the end of this year. And earlier today, the president of GM told us this is just the beginning of more EVs to come. We have uh, close to half a million People who have raised their hands for Hummers and Lyrics uh, as we come out of the shoot, and this is just the beginning. General Motors plans to sell 30 EVs by 2025 as they ramp up. And by the way, they make it clear time and again they believe that they will surpass Tesla in terms of having market leadership when it comes to electric vehicles. Speaking of the Hummer, within the last hour, the President of the United States took the Hummer EV for a drive. Now, he's there touting his infrastructure bill, but they also said, hey, Mr. President, would you like to drive the Hummer? This is a great, this is the video General Motors is looking for. And afterwards, he said, well, it's one hell of a vehicle. I'm not sure he got it as fast as it can go, which is zero to 60 in three seconds. But for General Motors, they just wanted to see some shots of the president in the Hummer. Remember, he drove the F-150 Lightning, and that got a lot of attention for Ford's electric pickup truck that's on the way. As you take a look at shares of GM and Tesla, keep in mind, the reason we're showing you this is that in terms of the global market share, Tesla is still the leader. It has about 19% of the global EV market share. General Motors has 11%. But a good chunk of that, by the way, Brian, is because General Motors has a very popular low-cost electric vehicle in China. Tesla's in a totally different market. We'll see how this changes over the next couple of years as GM ramps up its EV sales. Yeah, and right now some of these cars, I think the Hummer fill is going to start at like $115,000. The Lucid yeah, the first Dream edition is ones. Yeah. I mean, the, the Rivian's yep. 80000 I mean, these, most of these cars are still pretty doggone expensive. Of course, you have a Very credit. expensive. And, and look, that's the limited editions at the top. They expect the prices to come down. But we're far from what we would consider a mass market, you know, under $45,000, $40,000. Yeah, long way there. But there is a... I, the tax credit, I think, goes to 12005 in the Build Back Better plan, assuming that passes as well. Yep. Phil bow. some big numbers there, some big cars, by the way. Good looking, too. All right. Well, to have an electric car, you need to, you know, charge it, either at home or on the road. And many companies who make charging stations, they have also had their stocks on Fuego. But if you are thinking of plugging into the space, maybe think again. Here to throw some cold water on the plug-in is a company who is a man who's always plugged in, Herb Greenberg. Senior editor of Empire Financial Research, CNBC contributor, a good man, and I'm glad to see you again. Herb, you recently wrote about this, no doubt, uh, raising the ire of the EV fanatics. Why are you saying avoid the charging companies? 
Well, let me put this in, in context for you, Brian. By the way, it's great to be with you again. But let me, let me put this in context with, for, for you. It, there's, a, there's a podcast I listen to. It's called The Million Dollar Podcast. It's run by two guys I work with who are former hedge fund guys, Gabe Marshank and Enrique Abeda. And the concept of this podcast is that somebody who knows nothing about investing basically is trying to make a lot of money by listening to these guys. So he comes in, and he says, I want to make, I have $1,000 to invest for 10, 20 years. And he says, I have this brilliant idea. He says, I want to put it into EV charging stations. And immediately, without skipping a beat, Gabe goes, that's, that's a terrible idea. And then he thinks about it. He goes, it's a despicable idea. So why is it? And why am I here talking about this? And why did I write about it? Because when you think about it, it's like everything that seems so hot in the moment. And remember, we're talking about the time Rivian came out. We're talking about the lucid time. But what is a charging station? What's the reality of the business? You know, there will be increased competition. There are no barriers to entry. The space ultimately becomes commoditized. And you can take this down the road to very different incarnations that would suggest, you know, they're just, you know, you get price competition. Who knows how it's going to go? But I think it's, it's one of those things that we've seen before with other types of businesses that sound great. But it's not the way you want to go into this if you're looking for a longer term play. Hey, Herb, it's Jeff Mills. Uh, quick question for you. Hey, so um, maybe sort of a two-parter, but obviously not the charging companies, uh, maybe not even the automakers in the EV space. So um, would you want sort of more of the traditional Ford GM? Do you think they're going to continue to benefit? And if not, what related EV plays, companies that might benefit from the trend but that aren't directly manufacturing the cars, would you look to? Well, this, is, this has been a great, this has been a, a great theme by all the folks I work with at Empire, because what they had is they had something they called technology as a service. It was a theme. But they were looking at the, 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 the pick and shovel type of guys. So they were looking, some of these have really run up, but they were looking at, and they still are, NVIDIA, Aptiv, and Google, because Google, you get the, the Waymo play. So you're not getting the pure plays, but at least you're getting some exposure. And if it really takes off, you get that, that, that added kick, which you're already getting right now, but it hasn't even really kicked in. So that's that's probably the safest way to go. Okay, well, it's 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 a piece that everybody should read. Check it out on LinkedIn and other spots. Herb, love seeing you again, my friend. Hope everything's great out there in San Diego. It is. Thank you. Founded in 1909 by the Germans. All right, Guy Dami, let's trade this. I mean, EV Go and some of these other names, they've been hot. Herb makes some good points. You also got to buy the copper. By the way, a lot of these things get vandalized, too. People like to steal the the copper and stuff uh, that are in them. What's your take on the, the charging space? Yeah, I'm, I'm not advocating stealing copper from sites, number one. What I am advocating is to read Herb's work because, as we've said for years, it's extraordinarily thoughtful. And, you know, I think Herb would be the first person to tell you. I mean, he's, these are not fast money trades necessarily, but you avoid or you don't, don't read Herb's stuff at your own peril. What I will say is, in this piece, he also mentioned names like American Tower, which no, I wouldn't have thought of, and you read this piece and it starts to make sense. So names like Aptiv, American Tower, Crown Castle, I mean, these are names that have had tremendous runs. But when you read Herb's piece, you realize, you know, they're at the forefront of something that's really interesting. So that's where I would go. But the first yeah. place I'd go is to read what Herb just wrote. Yeah, and by the way, I was just in the U.K. last week. You know what they're doing there? They're putting charging stations, effectively stations, into lampposts. So it's not like a dedicated thing. It's like linked in to the power from the light, which is kind of cool. One, one wonders if you can compete with the major utilities as well. Guy, thank you very much. All right, coming up, 
declined. Major pain in the payment space today. Visa and MasterCard both going down. And it's all thanks to Amazon. We'll explain. Plus, Roku Rock shares plunging after one top analyst says sell and says he's kind of confused by their thesis now. We'll tell you who and why coming up. Well, apparently it's not everywhere you want to be. Visa stock losing 5% today. This after Amazon announced it would no longer accept Visa cards issued in the U.K. Not here, but in the U.K. Apparently they're mad about what they consider excessively high fees. Both Visa and MasterCard hiked what's called interchange fees in the U.K. after Brexit because a European Union fee cap no longer applies to them. But does this really matter to Visa long term? Jeff Mills, what say you? Yeah, it's interesting. I almost think it might not matter short term and longer term. I'd be more worried. It's also interesting. I think you're seeing surcharges on visa users in Australia, Singapore. So it's not just isolated to the UK. I actually think near term, you're going to get some negotiated outcome and they end up not banning visa by January. But longer term, I think it's a bigger deal. It's a shot across the bow. I think companies like Amazon are going to do more open banking, as they call it. So tapping directly into your bank account. And in their statement, they said a few things. So it's all about the evolution of digital payments. They talked about continuing to innovate. They talked about promoting faster, cheaper options for their customers. So uh, it's concerning for companies like that, both the, the card companies and even companies like PayPal. Karen, we call that pulling a guy, Adami. <laughs> yes. Uh, although I don't know whose dog is cuter. Yes. Uh, no, don't Mine. make I can see you, Adami, oh, with the hands in the air and the whole thing. And it was a little, it was a cute little pooch. Is it safe to come to you on Visa now? Does he have a or she have a? Yes, have a, yes. It's a he. He has a thought. Yes. So I agree with everything that Jeff said. I think it is the shot across the bow, and I think this pressure on fees is really important because there's not a lot of variable costs. So if fee goes down, the profitability can go down quickly, and clearly that's very upsetting. If you're a dog or, or you're a Visa shareholder. So God, I agree. I pooch. think it's problematic. <laughs> what, do you think the underlying, what do you think the underlying message of Karen's dog? What's he saying about Visa? <laughs> uh, I think what he's saying is about Jeff Mills. He heard Jeff's voice for 30 seconds and the dog went berserk. I, mean, I think it speaks volumes as to what's going on in the Mills. No, I, it's interesting. You know, MasterCard's down 10 percent. Trade up to 400, 360. I can do that math. And I think people are starting to look at valuation now. But we've seen moves like this before. I think Jeff hit the nail on the head. And if Karen's dog allowed her to speak for a couple seconds, she would have reiterated that. You know, I don't think you, again, to get back to something Tim says, I don't think you run too far from these stocks yet. Amazon has not disintermediated these payment names just yet. By the way, PayPal to me, not trading particularly well. We get it. Obviously a poor day today, but I think PayPal at these levels is pretty interesting. The dog's not, he doesn't care if it's Visa, MasterCard or PayPal. He's saying, mom, we're a little low on the bully sticks. Ring up Chewy or whatever it is and (laughs) put the order in. All right, guys, thank you very much. I'll get it at the break. It's all right. It's a nice dog. All right, Kramer is all over the moves in MasterCard and Visa as well. You can read all about it in today's CNBC Investing Club newsletter. Sign up today at cnbc.com slash investing club. Or again, just put your phone on that QR code right on the screen. Coming up, a red day for Roku. Shares a streamer dropping after an analyst turning very bullish on the name. We'll tell you why, the call, and who. Plus, gearing up. For Williams-Sonoma earnings after the bell tomorrow. How many times have we said that? Why never. And talk about how options traders are playing. The retailer don't go anywhere. We are back in two.
Yeah, as the graphic and animation shows, a bit of a buzzkill on Roku. Shares of the streaming company taking a nosedive down 11% today. This after Moffat and Nathanson downgraded the stock to a sell. Analysts at the firm seeing signs of slowing growth and expecting a decrease in video advertising revenue. Tim, your take. First of all, anytime Moffat Nathanson says something, we all listen. These guys uh, are, are very shrewd and are looking usually a step or two ahead. And in this case, they're looking out to 2025, first of all, where they say advertising revenues are, are going to be falling substantially. But overall revenues will be falling 17 percent or so, which is pretty scary. And again, a stock that has an enormous valuation and trades on a revenue multiple to begin with. Um, and again, they downgraded that by about 20 percent, too, from five times to four times. So um, it really is a function of... Uh, the dynamic between the existing kind of TEOEMs, their declining business model, what they're going to be willing to do and how Roku may need to be monetizing some of these uh, video on demand streams. And, and that's that's really the question. Look, um, a huge, huge winner from COVID has now been a massive forward, pull forward kind of look at their business again in a post-COVID environment. And yeah, I, you know, we're in a post-COVID environment, at least as it relates to Roku, um, which I, I think at least as a date for 220. Um, and if you look at that chart, I mean, it's almost a symmetrical, um, you know, either double top or even a kind of a lopsided head and shoulders. But uh, you've seen it. Uh, and when you get to 220, maybe you've taken some of that off. But more importantly, the fundamentals here are challenging. Good call there. By the way, their price target 220. So they still see more downside ahead in Roku. All right, coming up, Williams-Sonoma earnings. They are on deck. And that has options traders piling into the kitchen goods retailer. Talk about how they're betting on this next. You are watching Fast Money is always live. The Nasdaq Market Site, Times Square. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Check out Williams Sonoma is down today, about 5%. The home goods retailer reporting earnings tomorrow after the bell. And options traders are betting that no amount of retail therapy can keep this stock from heading lower. Let's find out why we say that. Mike Coe joining us with the options action. Yeah, so William Sonoma, we saw it trade about three times its average daily put volume. Overall, it traded about 4,700 contracts. That may not sound like a lot, but that's about 470,000 shares worth. And this is a stock that trades about a million shares a day. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 9% higher or lower. That's pretty much in line with the 8.8% or so that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. And one of the trades that we saw was a buyer of the December 200-160 one-by-two put spread, buying one of the December 200s and selling two of the 160s 100 times. They were spending a little over $3.67 to do that trade, betting just under 2% of the stock price that the stock could fall somewhere between 8 and 15% between wow. now and December expiration. That will be tough for Williams-Sonoma. Mike, thank you very much. As always, for more Options Action, tune into the full show every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, up next, your final trade. Tim, kick us off on the final trade, sir. Nice to see you, Brian. So take up all the places tonight. Amazon came up in the conversation or should have, whether we're talking about cloud with Microsoft, whether we're talking about Rivian and the relationship in EV that they have, whether we're talking about payments and Visa and how they're disrupting it. It, Amazon is everywhere. And this is a chart that's actually improving over the last six months. Believe it or not, Amazon's the call. Karen. Yeah, first, I got to apologize for my dog. 
I mean, it's not like I said anything about George Costanza and shrinkage or anything, but I apologize. So my final trade, Morgan Stanley. I love their mix of businesses. I love asset management, trading, and investment banking, capital markets, MS. Costanza. Jeff? Talked about this a lot tonight. Efficiency is king in the supply chain. A company called PTC Inc. helps facilitate that. The PE's way down. I think there's plenty of upside in this one. Guy. With some of the comments you made tonight, Brian, you talked about how you were dating yourself. Now I understand why you're the only person that did one. Number two, people thought my eye blinks were some sort of Morse code, so I opened the blinds. Behind me is the great Jimmy Buffett, two. And number three, Roku we talked about, Disney not trading well. All those lead yep. to Netflix, Brian Sullivan. Good stuff. I, I, hope I, I hope I see everybody tomorrow night. If I'm not, call the authorities. Thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim starts now. Yeah.